So what is biblical hospitality? We, we took, looked at this definition last week. Let's look at it again this week just to remind us, if you weren't here, catching you up. Um, biblical hospitality is to give loving welcome to those outside your nor normal circle of friends. It's opening your life and your house, if you have a house, to those who believe differently than you do. Now, that's interesting because that right there, outside of your normal circle of friends, all of us can do that. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but all of us can do that, no matter if you're in middle school, high school, college, or you have a home or a family or you're single, you can do that. Now, another way to describe it is showing love to strangers or welcoming the other for their benefit. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines hospitality as the act or practice of receiving strangers or guests without reward. Without reward. So we looked about uh, at what God, uh, a biblical hospitality was last week. This week we're going to look at the hurdles. The hurdles, because there are some. The hurdles to hospitality. And I think what we're going to look at, a uh, pretty famous parable by Jesus in Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there, or you can look on the screen. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to, this has uh, traditionally been known as the Good Samaritan. And here, this is how it goes. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. See, Jesus is, is shifting between what you believe and what you do. Right? We can have the right answer, but does our lifestyle match that answer? So Jesus is challenging him, and that's, that's challenging to us. But like, and this lawyer does what we do. Desiring to justify himself, he said, yeah, and who is my neighbor? We have good questions, don't we? Lots of good questions to ask God to keep us from doing what we know we should be doing. And here is Jesus' response. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This traditionally is a pretty dangerous path. Many theologians and historians have talked about this being a, a, a dangerous trek from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he sent, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning overcome the hurdles keeping us from being a hospitable people. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. This morning we're going to look at the hurdles and the heart of hospitality. The hurdles and the heart of hospitality. The first, the hurdles. Now, I grew up with two brothers. Any of y'all have siblings? A few of us? Uh, y'all probably didn't fight like we fought. Did any of y'all fight with your siblings? Yeah, yeah. So y'all know what, what this is like. So you, you get in a fight with a sibling. And however that comes out, someone hits the other, you scratch, you yell, you say something intentionally offensive, and then you run. Because usually if you're like me, I have an older brother, you try to outrun your brother. Because if your brother gets you, you're in trouble. And so what do you do? You run and then you throw whatever you can into the path, right? Chairs, tables, parents, other siblings, dogs, right? You, you create a hurdle so that you can get away. You create distance. Now, our enemy, our selfishness, and our spiritual enemy, the devil, he, he tries to create distance between us and others. Y'all felt that in this season? The enemy pushing distance between us and others. Puts hurdles in the way. Why does he do that? Because Jesus called us salt and light. Salt influences food, does it not? If, if, there's, no, if there's distance between the salt and the food, there's no benefit. But salt needs to touch it. Proximity is important. And God knows, and we talked about this last week, the world has changed because the gospel in us, Christ in us, gets close to the world, not further away. And so here's some hurdles that we have to overcome. Now, the first hurdle we see is a bit subtle, right? Maybe it's someone you forgot about. When you read this story, as you're trying to find yourself in there. But the robbers, they may be the least hospitable of the group, right? They welcomed in the stranger, beat him up, took all his stuff, and left him half dead. What does that speak to us this morning? Is that the first hurdle is that we are greedy. That's why we don't, uh, we're not hospitable. Even Clarence was referencing that, right? It cost me money to be hospitable. So we don't do it the temptation to exploit someone else. Now, you might say, Blake, I don't rob people. Okay, I get that. But the tendency to be greedy inside of us, the temptation is still there. I'll think of an example. I'll give you my own personal example. I got in a, a car accident, not bad, just a, kind of a fender bender in the city. This is over a decade ago. And inside of me was the temptation, everything inside of me to try to get out of paying what I knew I should be paying, right? I'm trying to figure out a way to lessen the blow on my bank account. My first thought wasn't, man, I did something wrong. I'm just being honest. Some of y'all, y'all did think that, right? Yeah, I did something wrong. Let's make this right. Not me. First, the first temptation was, how do I get out of this? And there I was trying to think about how to, now I didn't, praise God, but it sure was a temptation. I know y'all are better than me. Y'all don't have that temptation. But that's the temptation in all of us. That's why the, the Bible says that we need to be born again because the default mode of the human heart is greed and selfishness. We want to get and we don't want to give. 
And so the first hurdle we see here is greed. We're greedy with our time and our resources as if they are not gifts from God, right? Think about the current dating scene. If you're a single person, right? Do you go into that date thinking, I'm here to be hospitable or I'm here to get something from the other? That's the temptation. So many of our dating relationships end up like this scene. Someone hurt, stripped of their dignity, right? And left alone and abandoned. So this hospitable, this greed isn't just about a man on a road taking their money. It permeates into all aspects of life. Hurdle number one is that we're, we're greedy or we have a temptation to be greedy and that's why we're not hospitable. Let's look at another, another hurdle of hospitality. Number two, we've been the victim. Think of this guy on the road. He's not hospitable. He's just trying to survive. He didn't see the Levite walk by and say, hey, how's it going? Do you need anything? Did he? What about the priest? Hey, priest. Man, it's good to see you today. No, he's, on, he's half dead. Not hospitable. There he is, beaten, naked, and half dead. This, to me, is a real hurdle of biblical hospitality. Some of us have been some of us haven't experienced the rebirth and the healing of the gospel, so we haven't received the love of God, so we can't give it. We've been the victim. No, it doesn't, this guy was legitimately a victim. It wasn't like faking. Now, we have fake victims, right? So you ever seen soccer? You ever seen a soccer game? Falling on the ground? Right? That's a fake victim. And we have those in society, right? Calling foul and there's no foul. But there are legitimate victims. This one was one, clearly one. But here's the thing is that when we haven't received the healing and the transformation of the gospel where God changes your name, he adopts you as his son or his daughter, then we haven't received the love of a father to then reflect that love to others. That's a legitimate hurdle. Some of us are still in the ditch. We're still wounded. We're still broken. We're still uh, in survival mode. And we need Jesus to bring us to health so that we can be a blessing to others. I'm not saying that you're not a victim because some of us clearly are. I've been victimized. I know what that feels like. But Jesus in his goodness is trying to woo us out of the ditch and into being a blessing to others. That's a real hurdle, is it not? Is it, is it not? Yeah. yeah, okay, good. I was just making sure there's somebody in the audience. <laughs> hurdle number three, we are in a hurry. Ever been in a hurry before? Okay, five of us. Five of us have been in a hurry, that's good. There must be the five parents in the room. Aren't we supposed to be busy, Blake? Well, yes and no, right? Yeah, we're supposed to be diligent with our time. Here's, here's a neat um, social experiment that happened in the 1970s. I don't know if you've heard about this, but on the campus of Princeton University, two social scientists were studying pro-social behavior. What makes people do good for others? 
And so they, they focus, this is kind of a, this is cheap, it's kind of a, a trick here, but they focus their efforts on men going into the ministry, clergy, okay? And so they prep them and say, hey, I, I need you to give a talk on this passage, the Good Samaritan. They prepared for it. And they said, well, you're going to go across campus to give this speech, this, this, this sermon on the Good Samaritan. Uh, and they told them one of three things. One, they said, to, to a third of the people, they said, man, you have plenty of time, you're early. You can go. The second group of people, it was one, one at a time, but the second group of people were told this, uh, you're on time, but you should head over there now so as not to be late. And the third group of people says, you are late, you need to hurry um, over to the location. You're already, you're already late, you gotta hurry, okay? Now, uh, the next part of the experiment was they literally had a place on Princeton's campus that they had to walk through that was four feet wide. So it's like this. So you literally had to walk through. And they positioned a person who'd been beat up, half dead. And the only way to get to where they were going was to step over the person. Like that's how they had to get there. And do you know what the leading factor, and they did all this background all this background research, do you love people? Yes. Why are you going into ministry to help others? Yes. And some didn't, some didn't say that. Someone were going into ministry, other reasons, and they, they studied. But you know what the one determining factor was? How hurried they were. 63% of the people who were, had, were not in a hurry stopped and helped. 45 who were on time and 10%, that means 90% of people who were late, excuse me, I've got to teach on the Good Samaritan, excuse me. <laughs> right? Now, I'd like to point my finger, but guilty. Guilty. Wow. Because hurry, being in a hurry, man, it decreases our compassion. It decreases our ability to see others where they are. So here's a book, uh, if you've, I've referenced it before, I think it's in our resource center, um, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and he puts 10 symptoms of what they're now calling hurry sickness. It's a, it's a disease. Hurry sickness, here it is. Number one, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, just annoyed too easily. Little things irk you. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set, set you off. Restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture but find it boring. You have quiet time with God but can't focus your mind. You're restless. Number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know how to stop. Or worse, you can't. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. These could show up as careerism or just obsessive house cleaning. Man, I wish I had that. And errand running. The result, you fall prey to unset, sunset fatigue, whereby days end you have nothing left to give to your spouse or your kids or anyone else. Emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain 
or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. Out of order priorities, you feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics, eight hours of sleep, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked meals. The four horsemen of the industrialized apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. It's quiet in here. <laughs> or, you know, spouses are like, ow, what? What? Escapist behavior, when you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for your own souls. You eat, we turn to distractive choices, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching, you name the Netflix, whatever. Browse social media, surfing the web, looking at porn, just to name a few. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. I mean, I could go on and on about that. And number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others and your own soul. Right, these are just symptoms of a hurried life. I mean, I think probably all of us could have been like, seven out of 10, right? Let's be honest. So this isn't for condemnation, but this is to be aware. We're hurried. We're busy. And that's why we've been talking so many, two years now about rule of life and the essential life, being willing to, to be willing to say no to, the, to all the other stuff to say yes to the most essential thing. And that's, I mean, that takes time, does it not? Because we're already at capacity. But that's a hurdle, that's a real hurdle. Uh, hurdle number four, we are self-righteous. I, I think I says we are self-righteousness. That's a typo. We are self-righteous. We have a tendency to do this. Guilty, right? Here is uh, the, the priest in the story. When, you, when you're good at religion, and you're good at keeping the rules, and you're a leader in that realm, you have a tendency from, from experience to look down at those who are not. And so when you see someone hurting, you can think of all the reasons why they're hurting. Well, if they do this, 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 they wouldn't be hurting. So we don't have, we don't have hospitality. We don't welcome the other because we're better than them because of our track record. And a priest has got a pretty good track record, right? And yet the priest missed God in the story. It's just warm and fuzzy this morning. I hope y'all feel encouraged. <laughs> number five, hurdle number five, we are cultural elitists. Here's the Levite. He's got a heritage. He's got a way his family does life. He's got a way from generations past. We're better than others because of who we are. We don't welcome the other because the other's not good enough for us. Now, of course, we don't say that, but we watch our lifestyle and we live that out. We're tempted to believe that our heritage, our way of life, our cultural values make us better than the other. We're typically blind or dismissive to our cultural sins and weaknesses, but hypercritical and prejudiced towards the others. Guilty. Right? We tend to, to, to wipe over where our culture, our subculture is wrong. And then we tend to elevate where we're right 
and then find the other cultures where they're wrong and we're super critical of that. And then where they're amazing, we push that down too. This is what a hurdle for hospitality is because how can we sit down at a table with another that we've vilified and we've raised ourselves up above? And finally, hurdle number six, we're bitter. Here's the Samaritan. I mean, of all the people in the parable, if anyone would have a pass to walk by, it'd be him. He's the other in the, the cultural scenario. If you know what, Samaritans were a part of Israel who sold out. Like, they allowed other um, Nations that came in and occupied them to intermarry with them, to accept their gods. They're not truly Israel. They sold out generations past and then they justified what they did and created their own culture inside of it. And to a Jew, they are the epitome of evil. They're sellouts. And here the Samaritan is. Every right to be bitter towards the Jew. Probably walking by going, serve you right. How many Looks. I mean, if this man, we're, we're assuming, has business maybe in Jerusalem, he's there pretty often. It sounds like he's going to come back. So how many times has he walked into Jerusalem and been snubbed? He is not the man in power in Jerusalem. He's at the bottom, near the bottom of the hierarchy of power. And he's the one. He's, he's bitter, and yet he's the one who shows Compassion. So here it is. That, those are the hurdles. They're substantial. Now let's look at the heart of hospitality. Compassion. Compassion. All right. Compassion. I want you to see this. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man beaten up, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Uh, uh, the best way to maybe say this is he felt it. See, compassion here is um, the secret weapon to overcoming the hurdles. If you can have compassion, it doesn't matter the hurdle because this man, I'm sure, was busy. I'm sure he, he had every right to be bitter. I mean, he probably had maybe four or five on the list. And yet he, true, he overcame those hurdles and he met the need. He had hospitality. Didn't have a place. He actually had to, to rent out a hospitable place with his money so that he could show hospitality. I mean, this is, this is going. So he had compassion. Now, the secret weapon for us living a hospitable life is compassion. Now, Compassion comes from the inside out. What this is not, I want you to hear me. Man, I got to go home and drum up some compassion, right? All right. We got compassion workouts three days a week, all right? If we, we it's leg day, right? Then we got chest and back. No, you don't drum up compassion. It says he felt it. Do you understand? That came from the inside. So this isn't a thing like where God's like, you need more compassion. Yeah. Mm. 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 Yes. I feel it now. 
right? This isn't what, compassion is inside and it comes out. Man, so if I don't have it, how do I get it? How do I get it? I feel like I have a compassion deficit most days. Anybody else? Right? Okay, thank you. Three of us. All right. I'm just preaching to the three in the room. Okay. A compassion deficit. So, Lord, how do we get compassion? Oh, I'm only going to set ahead of myself. The second thing we see about compassion is this. Compassion closes the distance. Do you see that? When the priest and the Levite saw the problem, they went like this. The other side of the street, they created distance. But, but compassion closes the distance. And so there's, a, there's like an indication for us, right? That if, if we're walking in compassion, we are drawn to the problem. We're not trying to avoid the problem. Okay? Now, again, the Levite and the priest cross over. I mean, it literally says that they crossed over to pass. So think about yourself. When you're in these situations, when I'm creating distance between me and problems, it's probably because I'm lacking compassion. This is not to condemn you. I mean, I'm up here, the, the foremost. So this is not about you feeling bad about yourself. It's to recognize, hey, I have a compassion deficit. And to see, when do, when do I create the distance or when do I bring it closer? Now, there is these moments where Bringing the, the, the distance closer, the proximity matters that, that compassion can birth in us. You get around a need long enough and it's going to bother you. But we even have like systems in our city and in our nation and the nation to create distance. We do. We'll even build roads so we don't have to drive through certain parts of town so that we don't have to feel what need feels like. We create distance. Instead of stepping into the problem saying, how can we make this better? Let's, let's, let's drive three more miles so I don't have to feel what I feel when I drive through here. Right? So, so compassion then closes the distance instead of creating distance. Proximity matters here. Now, how do we get it? Now, that's a good question, right? That's, that's the question we've come to. Blake, I see that, man, I, yes. I'm the compassion lack. How do I get it? Compassion comes from experiencing it. Compassion comes from experiencing what it feels like to be in need and someone meeting that need. We can relate to that. Okay? Now, when I look at this story, I can relate to every character except maybe the Good Samaritan. Like I, I'm probably not that guy. I have exploited others for my own benefit. I've been the robbers. I've been the victim, been beat up. I've been victimized in justice. I've been the priest. What's wrong with them? And I've been the Levite. Look at my heritage. Look at my values. I'm in, I'm in every part of those, the story. 
And here is the Good Samaritan. And what we, we, what we understand about the Bible is that God saw the need and he didn't create distance. See, Jesus had compassion. Jesus had every right, like the Good Samaritan, to keep on going. Told y'all not to eat that fruit, right? Told y'all not to sin. Told you that was going to hurt you. You did it anyway. Every right to walk by, and he closed the distance. The Bible says that he humbled himself as a man. Even to the point of death on a cross. It's interesting, even the, the vocabulary used to describe this man in need. Here it is. Beaten, stripped, and abandoned. That's Jesus. Jesus was beaten for you and I. My self-righteousness, my cultural elitism, and my outright exploitation of others. Jesus paid that price for me. He was beaten, stripped, and abandoned. The one least likely, the one who would say, you're the one that gets the pass. And he's the one, the better Samaritan. The better Samaritan. Now how then do I get compassion because I see that Christ showed compassion for me? That I am the Levite and I am the priest and I am the robbers and I am the men broken and yet Christ came and became broken for me. I'm a sinner, y'all, just like you, in need of a Savior. And Jesus closed the distance he stepped into our mess, paid the price. See, Jesus lived the way we should have lived. And then he died the death we should have died in our place. So that now God accepts us not because of what we do, but because of what he did. Yes, if you're convicted in here, it's because you have a pulse. We don't live to this standard. And so the point is not, go out of here, you guys need to be more hospitable. The point is, do you see that he was hospitable to you? He is the hospitable one. Now when we see the other, there's, there's this little man, I'm just like him or her. I did that. I'm going to all kinds of conviction up here this week. I was going, just telling myself, I'm not a very good fan. I go watch my kids play ball. The other is the umpire. Derek is in here. The other is the referee. And then I'm thinking, I'm the referee. I make bad calls all the time hypercritical of his errors, but many sweep over mine. They're not that bad. Man, we have others in every part of life. Where's the compassion come from? It comes from seeing ourselves in the story and seeing Christ in the story. Amen? Amen. Here's the verse 
Romans 15, 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so our challenge this morning is that we would open our lives to the other and see them as ourselves. See them as ourselves. So that we can be a blessing to the glory of God. We've been shown mercy. Show mercy to them. That doesn't mean we, we talked about this last week. Uh, universal, uh, universal welcoming does not mean universal affirmation. Just because I welcome you universally doesn't mean I agree with everything that comes out of your mouth. Right? I don't even agree with everything that comes out of my mouth sometimes. But it does mean welcoming. Let's stand to our feet as we close. <clears throat> Father, first and foremost, we come to you because you're good. Because we can. You've given us a free uh, path to you, purchased by the blood of Jesus and proven to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Some of us, Lord, in this room this morning are hurting and we're selfish and we know this morning that we're, in sin, we're a sinner in need of a Savior and we need the Good Samaritan to come to us heal us, pay for our wounds and accept us. Not just uh, temporarily, but as sons and daughters. If you're, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not right with God this morning and the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart to receive the compassion of God, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise it high so I can see it. I mean, you can put that down. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer. King Jesus, forgive me for my selfishness. And going my own way, I'm choosing this morning to turn around and to follow you. I receive the free gift of your compassion and salvation. And I accept that you are bringing me into the kingdom of God, the family of God. Now, if you're in here and you're saying, Blake, I have a compassion deficit. I don't want that to be there, but it's there. And I want some prayer this morning. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I have a compassion deficit. All over this room, my, both my hands are raised. Father, we need you, King Jesus, to increase the capacity of our hearts for the other. Lord, help us to see that we have been saved by grace alone. That we have been adopted and accepted by grace alone. That you loved us when we were at our worst.
Lord, help us cultivate a relationship with the God of love so that we might love others. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. That's at the heart of compassion, right? Love. You love because he first loved us. Receive his love this morning. Holy Spirit, pour out your love in our hearts. Pour out your love in our hearts this morning. May we receive the love of God so that we might be conduits of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That every provision that we need for our lack, you've made, God. There's nothing you're going through or you're experiencing right now that God hasn't made provision for. Amen? Amen. Awesome. As we close this morning, we're going to leave the altars open. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Before you head out, turn around and greet someone. Tell them your name. Tell them you're glad they're here. We'll see you next week.